I really feel like it is the greatest invention or opportunity of the 20th and 21st century that you could be a single mother by choice. And I only hope that more women will consider it. Welcome back to Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive. I'm Nahani Rouse. For this Mother's Day episode, we're talking with three Jewish single mothers by choice, women who felt motherhood should not be contingent on partnership. Instead, these women had babies by themselves. It's not the usual way to start a family, but more and more women are starting families alone. Some don't want to wait for a partner, and some just don't want one. This episode of Can We Talk is in three acts, three stories of mothers and their children. Mommy, the earth is bigger than that garbage pack. Correct. The earth is much bigger than that garbage pack. Act one is set in Jersey City, New Jersey, yes. where 45-year-old Lizzie Skernick lives with her five-year-old son, Javier. And where would the earth put the garbage? If they had garbage, a ginormous garbage can in the earth, then, they could, then the earth could put it there. But, but what would, where would we put the garbage can? We would put it... <laughs> We would put it into the new places. We would, you mean like out in space? No, that'd be terrible. Exactly, I agree. So we would- I tend not to idealize marriage or singlehood that much anymore. You know, I have friends who are single moms who have certainly felt way more isolated and for a variety of reasons, you know, where they live, their personalities, you know, what's going on in their lives. And I know it is much harder for them. And I have not experienced that. Um, and and that was, that was really sort of a, just a wonderful thing. Lizzie says she still faced challenges, though, when she decided she wanted to be a mother. You know, at the time, I was a freelance writer, you know, and a teacher. And my salary was extraordinarily erratic. It was completely fine for a single person, no problem at all. But, you know, with a baby, you really need a regular salary and you need it to be fairly high. And also I was living in a, you know, first floor garden apartment, probably 700 square feet. Then I also reminded myself, you know, that that's just really true of most of the New York area. You know, it's true of most of the world. <laughs> so it's like, I, I am not going to think about, you know, whether or not I have a two car garage and, a, you know, three story house with a finished basement and a big yard, because that, that's just actually not how most of the world lives. And most of the world has babies all the time. Lizzie was 40 then, but she sensed she was still fertile. So she started looking into sperm banks. She says it was fascinating, just like online shopping. She says there were things called delimiters, basically filters. You know, height is first and then eye color and then race is pretty far up there. When you look at that list, you it is a list of things that society cares about. And it's a list of things by which you reject or accept people. Lizzie chose a biracial donor, which she says she wasn't looking for specifically, but she was happy it turned out that way since she's also biracial. Her mother is black. Her father is Ashkenazi Jewish. 
She also liked that the donor was good at math and an atheist. Since then, she's connected with other mothers who chose that same donor dad. She wanted Javier to meet his half-siblings. They now have a close relationship and vacation together every year. The mothers, the ones where we get together, we feel like they need to know each other because they're siblings, and they can do whatever they want with that. But we feel like that's like a basic relationship that we should acknowledge. But her own parents had a hard time accepting that Javier's donor siblings were real family. They were like, well, they're not his real sisters. I mean, they're not his sisters like his sisters. And my father was so funny. He goes, well, those children, they don't have any relation um, to me. And I was like, right. (laughs) I was like, they don't. I think it's very hard for people to see people as family that fall outside the paradigm, even in, you know, gay marriage, like once the people have like a house and a car and there's two people there, it still looks pretty normal. But, you know, once you really go off track, people have, you know, it seems like you have the right to reject it. Her family also had trouble acknowledging that her son would come from a sperm donor. I think They just thought, you know, that it was a lesser way to do your family. And it's funny because I think, by the way, that I probably had that prejudice too before I did this. I absolutely remember that feeling. But then when I was doing it, when I had the desire, it just so didn't feel that way that I didn't worry about it. But because I knew the feeling of that particular prejudice, I I didn't like, you know, judge anybody for having it. Still, she was happy when her family finally came around. I remember my sister-in-law very early on when I was talking to my nephew about it, she said something like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how comfortable I am, you know, hearing, you know, with him hearing parts of this. And, you know, I just want you to be careful. And I said, this is the way he is getting here. I am not going, I don't want to hide it or be ashamed. He would have such a hard time with that. And then she was like, oh my God, we are going to be much better. Your brother and I are going to be much better about this. We have not been being supportive and we're going to be much more supportive. And I think um, once she saw it from his point of view, it was much easier to understand that, my God, you you can't like make a kid feel like they're like a big weirdo, especially when they're not. You know, just because we sentimentalize the way other kids get here we feel like that's like natural. I do not feel that way. And I I also just feel very strongly I should not try to shoehorn it into something like that. I I don't know what's wrong with doing it this way. That means it goes away for no reason. True. And and it goes (laughs) nowhere. It just turns invisible and you can't see it anymore. Correct. That's what fade means. That is what fade means. When did you learn what fade meant? I just know it. How did you just know it? I can do this. <laughs> okay, Bubsers. That was Lizzie Skernick and her son Javier, who knows a lot of things just because. In Act 2, we hear from another woman who chose to enter motherhood alone, 
but she went about it in a different way. Naomi prefers to use just her first name for the sake of her family's privacy. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. My daughter's name is Dinkanesh, and she's 10 years old. She actually just turned 10 yesterday. Dinkanesh, uh, I don't know if you remembered when they found those Lucy bones in Ethiopia. They thought she was like our ancestor, Lucy, uh, the hominid ancestor. The locals in Ethiopia called her Dinkanesh because what it means is you're amazing and miraculous. Uh, so I knew that with the name that her parents gave her, her birth family gave her, Deaconesh, that name was so special I was not going to change it. Adoption is a very interesting uh, experience. I remember when the social worker came to my house for the first time to do the home study. Uh, she said to me, Naomi, if you're a person who likes to talk about themselves, you'll probably enjoy this. <laughs> but if you're more private, you may not as much. And then she proceeded to pretty much ask me every personal question you can imagine. She wanted to know about everything related to my own childhood, my relationship with my parents, my siblings, every romantic relationship that I had been in, uh, my professional life. It felt very invasive. Then I had to fill out written documents for the home study. I had to declare all kinds of things, all the things I would and wouldn't do. Uh, I would never hit my child. I would never lock my child in the room. I thought to myself, uh, their parents having children every day, they never have to go through this process. But in thinking more about it, I almost feel like probably all parents could benefit uh, from talking to a social worker before they make the decision to have a child, uh, perhaps to make some pledges about the things they're committed to doing uh, or not doing when they raise their child. I actually did not think it was a bad process. Naomi says the process reestablished her commitment to having a child because you really have to want one to go through all that. She even had to call on her congressman to help cut through the red tape. But eventually, she adopted a baby from Ethiopia. So I want her to know she's Ethiopian. Uh, for a while, we had a violin teacher who was Ethiopian, and I had the teacher teach her some Amharic. Uh, so she knows that. But what I uh, realized pretty quickly was that at this moment in time, she just wants to be a regular American, uh, now 10-year-old girl. Um, I'm imagining as she gets older, her personal story will be more important. Uh, but right now she lives in the here and now and uh, considers herself uh, an American Jewish girl. Naomi says she's committed to Dinknesh having a strong Jewish education. They go to services most Saturdays. Dinknesh attends a Jewish day school, and she's also going to a Jewish summer camp. Naomi says having a child as a single mom by choice is a 24-7 commitment. Her whole life revolves around Dinknesh, but she says it's the best thing she's ever done. I'm not a super woman, um, never even really been a type A personality. I feel like if I've been able to do it, really pretty much most women can do it. So I want other women uh, who really feel the longing to be a mother, not to be stopped by not finding the appropriate partner. Uh, because being a parent is just an amazing thing. In Act 3, we hear from another mother who adores her child. 
My name is Wendy Shanker, and I live in West Bloomfield, Michigan, uh, and I am the mother of an eight-year-old daughter named Sunny, who's like the best person on the planet through not completely my credit to me, but she just happens to be a wonderful person. I'm very glad to be her mom, and I'm a single mother by choice. I've always been an independent person. I've never had a business partnership with anybody else, and I didn't want to necessarily have a a parenting partnership with anybody else. I really like making these decisions. I like having the ultimate responsibility. There's definitely times when I feel like it would be helpful to give somebody else responsibility for some of these things, but ultimately that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be a single mother by choice. Like I'm good at making these decisions. I feel comfortable with my choices. I know I'm doing the best for her through, you know, the the vision and the experiences that I have. And so I feel really comfortable and confident about that. I really feel like it is the greatest uh, invention or opportunity of the 20th and 21st century that you could be a single mother by choice. And I only hope that more women will consider it. When Wendy was in her 30s, she suffered an ugly bout with an autoimmune disease that threatened her life. And when I came out of the other side of it, I was probably 37 or 38 years old and um, knew clearly that I really wanted to be a mother. Um, I wasn't um, necessarily invested in finding a partner or a husband or a spouse, but I knew really, really clearly that I wanted to be a mom. Wendy figured she would adopt. Her own mother died when she was 10. Her dad remarried, and Wendy grew very close to her stepmom, so she says she knew biology wasn't the most important thing about being family. But she did want to see if she could get pregnant, so she tried sperm donation. It was important to me to have a Jewish donor. That was definitely a priority, and there aren't that many Jewish donors, so um, I felt really lucky to get the one that I have um, because, you know, Jewish was important, but other things were important too, and I sort of feel like I got a really great package. Um, Although I also felt like it wasn't essential to have a Jewish donor because just halakhically by Jewish law, Because I was a Jewish mother, having a Jewish baby, it would be a Jewish baby. Wendy says she and Sunny go to a Reform synagogue, and they celebrate Shabbat every week, often with Wendy's parents. The core Jewish values of um, learning and family and community and history um, and... uh, Uh, taking care of other people and the golden rule um, are all very important parts of of the values that I'm imparting to her. And I would say kind of values that she comes by um, naturally. I've said to her more than once, like, you could be a really great rabbi. She's kind of like a little philosopher. So show me what you're doing. So I'm going to make bracelets out of rubber bands. Okay. You pick these two colors, Mm -hmm. right? Pink and purple. Pink and jelly purple. Pink and jelly purple. So do you know how I make these? Oh, I, I have seen you do it before. But you know, you want instructions on how yes, to make Yes, of course. So you can take one of these. Sunny is doing really well now, but she had an unexpected start in the world. When Wendy was about seven months pregnant, she went to visit her parents in Florida. That's where they live in the winter. But Wendy wasn't feeling well. She had cramps and some spotting. It was the weekend, and she kept thinking to herself, I need to go back to the doctor on Monday. And what I didn't realize was that I was in labor. It was the first day of Wendy's 29th week of pregnancy. I 
feel a gush and I run into the bathroom. I'm in a hotel room by myself and I crouch down and have one contraction and out comes the baby. So there she is, tiny, like the size of a big Coke bottle, and she's blinking her eyes, and I'm just praying to God, please, 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 God, keep this baby alive. Like, this is, this is the moment. And I got super calm, and I put that baby on my skin, and I wrapped myself up in towels, and I ran to call 911, and I get a message to reach room 911, you know, that you can't dial 911 on a hotel phone. So... I call my parents who are in the building next door. I say, I just had the baby call 911. I run to the door of the hotel room and prop it open, which to this day I still think is like my ingenious choice. And then I run back and sit on the toilet to wait for hopefully emergency to come because I don't know like what happens with the umbilical cord, which at this point is still connected to the baby. And when does placenta happen? And what if I'm bleeding or what if I'm losing? I don't know what's happening. And five minutes later, in comes EMS, who just happened to be parked in a parking lot next door to the hotel. In comes hotel security. In comes my parents. In comes the concierge. I'm like tiptoeing around because I'm worried about like what happens if I get blood on the carpet in the hotel room and they're going to be mad at me. <coughs> and the whole time, this baby, thank God, is alive and breathing and what I didn't realize was that she was getting oxygen through the umbilical cord. And the EMS worker says, like, okay, we're going to cut the cord. You might want to look away. And I'm like, oh, really? you think, should I look away? I'm like, maybe this will be a little gross for me to handle. <laughs> At this point, I just delivered my own baby in a bathroom. I really think I can handle watching you cut the cord. Wendy and Sunny were taken to the nearest hospital. Sunny stayed in the neonatal intensive care unit for three months. You know, after that, what is... What is tricky? What is hard? What is challenging? You you helped your daughter survive in the moment of her birth. And you did it by yourself and wouldn't choose to do it that way, um, but certainly feel like there's there's a the, the takeaway from it is that like like let's not panic about preschool because there's there's a lot crazier decisions. Wendy's family was alarmed when they found out Wendy was going to become a mother on her own, in part because she had been so ill. But they came around. Of course, my folks um, were drawn into, you know, this this birth moment that was so dramatic and so not the, you know, the vision of what I had of them coming to me, visit me in the hospital with a bunch of balloons. I mean, this was like like a pure crisis moment. and But from that initial moment of me on the phone saying, the baby's here, call 911, um, they were in it to win it 100%. And I have to say that, you know, besides just the, the beauty and amazement and adoration that I feel for my daughter, um, the very best part of this whole thing has been the experience of watching my daughter interact with my parents. That to me is just... You know, besides the gift of Sonny, that's, that's a close second for the great gift um, that this child has brought into the world. The gift of motherhood comes in many forms, and families take different shapes and sizes. Sometimes, the traditional Jewish commitment to family leads women to make untraditional choices. Lizzie, Naomi, and Wendy chose to parent on their own, 
most single mothers don't make that explicit choice, but end up in that situation through circumstance. All of the mothers we heard from today admit it's not easy parenting alone, but they are so glad they're doing it. Thank you for listening to Can We Talk for this special Mother's Day episode. You heard the stories of Lizzie Skernick and Javier, Naomi and Dinknesh, Wendy Shanker and Sunny. Thanks also to Rosanna Hertz, author of the book Single by Chance, Mothers by Choice. Judith Rosenbaum directs the Jewish Women's Archive. Becky Long is our production assistant. Ibi Caputo produced and edited the script. Our theme music is by Girls in Trouble. Mother's Day is just around the corner. If you're looking for a way to honor the mother figures in your life and support the Jewish Women's Archive in the process, check out JWA's We Celebrate collection. You can create a meaningful, one-of-a-kind tribute and add your favorite mothers to our collection of Jewish women. Learn more at jwa.org slash we celebrate. Visit us online at jwa.org slash can we talk to listen, subscribe, and make a donation. You can also find Can We Talk anywhere you get your podcasts. If you listen on iTunes, please leave us a review. It helps other people find us. I'm your host, Nahani Rouse. We'll be back next month. <laughs>